Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back, Francis. I'm so excited to welcome you back here. I want to encourage you to go and listen back to some of our older episodes. We have so many topics that have been covered already. So for many of you who reach out and asking to cover new topics, make sure you checked out the backlog. And also, if you enjoy this podcast, make sure to check out Orthodox Conundrum, Nashim, Let My People Eat, and Intimate Judaism, all a part of JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I am looking for guests for the following topics and episodes. I would love to interview post-combat Israeli soldiers. I'd like to do an episode on that as well as Shaduchim singles who have disabilities or are on the spectrum. I'd love to learn more about that. I'd also like to dedicate an episode, so I'm looking for a guest who's willing to speak about where one is Orthodox, another one is struggling with their Yiddishkeit or their belief system. And I'm interested in interviewing couples that are just on different religious levels. So we will be going into the topics of social orthodoxy, but for the personal story, I am looking for guests to share. Of course, my platform is offered here for anonymous guests to talk about the dynamics in a marriage after you get married and realize you are maybe right away or later on completely on different religious levels. If you need any help with any podcasts or growing your podcast, please do reach out and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Francisca Show. Today with us, we have Charna Goldsmith. I'm so excited to do this episode today because we are going unfiltered as always. And the angle today is a divorce that was successful and wasn't miserable and wasn't we hate Jewish people. So (laughs) I think this encompasses what we're here to talk about today. Thank you so much, Charna, for coming onto the show. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to give a really quick shout out to Dina Stash who put us in touch. She's been a huge inspiration for me, like pre-divorce, post-divorce. I think it's really important to have strong female figures in your life, whatever stage you're at. And I appreciate her giving us that connection. And for anyone listening that is Flatbush Girl, she did connect to us. And you are as well as Adina on Hatsala, the women's non-Hatsala <laughs> EMT division. Uh, formerly, yeah. Formerly, I was part of uh, Ezra's Nation, which is like... The Ezra's Nation, there you go. Thanks for having me. I'm just going to jump right in with sharing a little bit about my story and experience. I was married for five years to a very... Somebody that was, I want to say, more religious than me. I'm a Baal Shuva, and my ex-husband was a Kolal guy. He didn't fit like the quote-unquote mold of being yeshivish because he definitely like, you know, went out and he was married previously before me. He had gone through a divorce, he had three children, and I knew that I I married him. But my experience with our divorce, I had basically asked for the get. We're we're still not civilly divorced. We're in the process of that right now. But I had asked for the get. And I mean, I, I got it within a month. Like, I we just went straight there. And what ended up happening was his rabbis were actually telling him not to give the cat, which is not really how we started this podcast in terms of like, you know, the success story, but he did give the get. I did speak to our rabbi and I was not at all in the beginning with the rabbis. I was not at all pleasant with how I spoke to them. 
to the point that I be, and I'm not, what my experience is here, I'm going to say a few things that are going to be a little bit off colored. And I'm going to say some stuff that it, I'm not recommending anybody do this, but if there's something in my story that a woman can take away that they can play or that helps them achieve a healthy divorce and a get in any way, I think I want to just preface it with what I'm about to say. The first thing is when I spoke to the rabbi about getting my get, I was really nasty because he was like, the way he opened up with me was, if you don't let him give you a get, you're going to end up in a guna for eight years or more is what he told me. What does that mean? If you don't let him give you the get? So I called him up and I was like, I want my get. I'm off of work next Tuesday for my birthday. Basden has an opening. Give me my get. And he was like, oh, it's so soon and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I've been in marital counseling from the beginning. I've been in therapy for five years. I said, I'm done. I said, this is it. I'm done. And he was like, well, you have to let him come to terms to give you the get. And I was like, and his, you are going to be in a good enough for years. You don't tell a woman going through a divorce with children that she's going to cuss with one like be in a good enough for eight years. So I turned around and I was like, you are not threatening me. <laughs> I'm like, you're not threatening me that I'm going to be in a good enough. I was like, because I have sat on a good protest. I'm like, this is not going to bode well for anybody. And the conversation was very stern. I was like, not necessarily threatening, but he hung up the phone and called my ex and was like, oh yeah, you should just like, just give her the get. Like, let's not make this like messy. Give her the get. And my ex obliged. Now part of why he obliged and what came to the table is what I'm going to talk about next. And that's where it gets a little controversial. And again, I realize that every woman has their own situation, but I did not. And I still have not asked my ex for a dollar in child support. We have two children under the age of five. I came to the table with my ex and I said, listen, I want my get. It was the most important thing for me. I said, I'm not going to come after you for child support. I'm not asking you for alimony. In addition to this, I paid for his apartment to move out. I paid for his apartment around the block from us, furnished the apartment, and it was still paying for our phone bill, our car, and our car insurance. And I know a lot of women who have been divorced that kind of use money, whether it's equity in the house or something, as a sort of like trade-off in the talks of getting their get. And we didn't have really any possess like house or possessions other than that. And I came to the table and I was sweet as pie with my ex-husband. And I was like, I will do these things, but I want you to show up next Tuesday. And he was at first very hesitant and he's like, I don't know. We don't have a civil. There's no divorce. I'm like, I'll sign whatever paper you want. You want to type up an agreement at the bees den? I'm like, I'm not coming after you for child support. I don't want it. I don't want anything. I want you to peacefully move out. I will get, find the apartment. I will get it for you if you like it. I furnished it. I pay, I set up the kids' bedrooms. I filled this house with groceries. Okay. And, and this is when you're in a divorce, whatever the circumstances are, I would be lying to you if I said that there are such raw emotions that you're dealing with with your kids and trying to heal in your own space. And this is as a single mother who does not have a strong support system. My friends all thought I was crazy. They were like, you shouldn't be paying his rent. You shouldn't be paying his car. You shouldn't be doing this. Like he should be giving you, he should be giving you child support. You have to pay for the kid's school. You have to pay for this. And my response to them was like, no, I want my get. <laughs> like, I want my get and I want my divorce. And on top of that, and furthermore, I want my kids to be not suffering as a result of the divorce. 
And that is sort of the next thing that I want to bring up is even, you know, post-divorce now, four or five months that we've, that we've, since I've gotten my get is really understanding that whatever your ex did to you in the marriage through the divorce, you have to take your emotions out and be quiet because your kids are going to be the one that suffers. I'm so frequently at a Shabbos table where I hear the woman openly in front of her kids, whatever age they are, start trashing her ex-husband. He didn't give me child support this month and he has a new girlfriend and he's in Miami and can you believe it? And I had to pay for this program. And I just, again, circling back to my personal experience, as soon as we got separated, I was getting feedback that my ex was partying, that he was hooking up with people, that he was, I'm sorry to say this, sleeping around, that he was doing all of these things. He was sending me nasty text messages. He, there was there was borderline some really heavy, inappropriate and and crazy stuff that went on in my divorce. And I swallowed it. I just bit down and I was like, no problem. No problem. I was like, I got whatever. And I think I think that's what I'm I'm trying to just convey is that get yourself in therapy right away because you're going to be angry. You're going to be mad. You're going to be so, you're going to be sad. You're going to be mourning the loss of a relationship, even if it was a horrible marriage. And even if you're so happy to break out of that marriage and walk away from it, the biggest thing that I could say in my experience with this is shelter your children from it. My kids are still very little, but he does have three children, as I mentioned, from his first marriage that I was pretty close to. And when they had came to me and they were like, what's their teenagers? And they were like, what's going on? What's this? What's that? Just zip it. Like zip it. I, I mean, when I tell you my ex-husband, um, am I, can I just like talk like freely a little bit about like some of the things that happen? Is that okay? Yeah, wanna, but like, that's like, going anti the zipping it. <laughs> if your kids listen to it eventually. No, my kids are, my kids are four and two. And, and I really, what I, post-divorce you go through a lot of emotional stuff as a woman as a man you're both healing in different journey his way to heal was being much more public with it mine was more internal I struggled with how I was dressing people I was associating with the fighting I don't want to make it seem like oh we had this magical divorce and he gave me the get right away there was a lot of intense fighting a lot of intense emotion in him putting me down, saying nasty things, questioning my ability to mother, having his friends been brought into this, having people like, you know, kind of chirp in and say things. And even now today, I, when I have, when I want to have an initial response to him doing something that is so absurdly crazy, I bite down. I'm quite, I have a therapist to talk to. I have a good support system of people that listen but you will never hear me at a Shabbos table in front of my kids. If there's a, if there's an argument with him and my kids are present or he comes, he's, he drops by the house sometimes unexpectedly. And I try to have an open door policy with my children, you know, where I say to him, give me a little bit of heads up. You can come see the kids whenever you want. I want my kids to have that father figure in their life. And the mistakes that I saw with his ex-wife and other women, I have other friends who are divorced they use children as leverage and pawns for expressing their emotional frustration in the marriage and relationship. And I'll give you an example. My friend was divorced for many years and he started seeing a woman got engaged and this enraged her. She was not, she did not heal from the relationship. And so her immediate response was, Oh, he's dating somebody. You're not going to your father's anymore. 
that's that's not an answer, but that's what women do. And women say, oh, you don't want to give me X amount of child support. You don't want to give me alimony. Oh, you went to Florida. You bought a new car. Oh, okay. You can't see the kids. You know what? I'm going to press you more. I think as Jewish women, there's so much in the media that we see with men that are withholding gets and these nasty fights and dragging through the mud and, and all of this like back and forth. The goal, in my opinion, in my experience is, is two things. The first is you want to get your get right. Because nobody wants to be in a situation where we're protesting for 15 years. So unfortunately the way the law is set up, you really have to kind of bend the knee. You have to say, okay, I'm not, it's unrealistic. If you live a certain lifestyle with your husband, if your husband is the main caregiver and breadwinner in your marriage and you have several children and you're relying on that money for yeshiva education, you have to understand that when you get divorced, you are not going to live that lifestyle anymore. Unless you're working, unless you're self-sufficient, it worked out for me. I ended up, you know, thank God I worked a tremendous more amount than I did when I was married. But unless you're providing for yourself financially, it's unrealistic to expect your ex-husband to provide you with the lifestyle that you were living when you were married. He's going to have to resituate himself in a home. He's going to have to move. And you want him to, even though maybe you really want to see your ex be run over by a car and suffer in all of these ways. You have to think as a as a mother, if your kids see your ex-husband struggling, if they see that, oh, daddy went from living in our house and now he's living in a basement apartment with no windows, you might be happy and you might be like, yeah, you cheated on me and you deserve that. But your kids, that's a reflection of the respect they see in their father. And it takes two parents really to raise children in, in a in the ideal situation. It takes a father figure. So when you want to see your ex suffer because of your own unhealed wounds and the animosity that you have with your ex-husband, it is not serving your kids. And you as a woman are going to suffer because you might think, yeah, daddy's a loser. Daddy doesn't pay child support. Daddy doesn't do this. Your kids are hearing that. And now they're forming their life experience based on the reflection of how you're treating your ex. And I, and I witnessed this with my, my husband's first kids very, very nasty divorce. It's still going on. And not not with like she has again and everything, but I'm saying with the parenting and the co-parenting, the lack of co-parenting. And I watched his kids go from like the young kids witnessing this animosity to really, really troubled teens and now, you know, young adults and the scars that are left behind, it's it's immeasurable. And I would just say like from my own experience, like you have to have to get yourself in therapy, get your kids in therapy and really just bite down and kind of, I don't want to say suffer through it because again, everybody's situation is different and I'm not giving any excuse for abuse. And there are extreme, extreme situations that require just more than you swallowing your pride. But if at all possible, I would say you have to reason with the fact that maybe you're not going to get out money. Maybe you're not going to get the child support that you want. Maybe you're not going to have the type of lifestyle. Okay, so you're not driving a new Mercedes. You know, you're going to have to get rid of that lease and maybe get a Honda. Like there, it's a hard pill to swallow for women, and especially when there's anger involved. But I mean, this is sort of some of the things that I was dealing with through my divorce. And I really admire you bringing up a lot of the things that you did, first of all, saying how you did give up all the things that women are told to give up, or it takes them maybe a few years to agree to give up. And meanwhile, they don't have their get, which is what you had decided and offered straight up front. It's not like you walked in and said, 
um, getting child support and alimony and this and that, and you're moving out and figuring everything out. And here's your get. No, you, you gave up all the things. You just did it on a moment's notice. And I like how you brought out, and we did have feedback from previous episodes, lots of people saying, first of all, get the men's perspective. So we could hear about how women are abusing all the things and how they're horrible through the divorce, which you brought out voluntarily. And the other thing is that it's, it's, it takes two to tango. It's the divorce is happening because both sides, it's not working from both sides. It's not like you have a working part of the relationship and the non-working part, both parts aren't dancing together and it's not working as one dance. So I want to just track back if you allow. I'd like to hear more about your marriage itself, if possible, and maybe the beginning of it. You knew that he was married before and he was divorced. And was that a concern? And then I want to hear more about you figuring out that you wanted your divorce. Like, when did that happen? How long did it take you to make that decision? And what really went on in your head in the process of making that decision? Assuming you've looped in your ex-husband after you have made your decision. So as I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a Baal Shuba and I met my ex-husband at a Shabbos meal and he did tell me that he was divorced with three kids. And my first question to him, how long did it take you to give her the get? First question. And he said, right away. He's like, I didn't hesitate at all. And then upon meeting um, children and the dynamic of the ex-wife, I just to put into perspective, I met from me to marry my ex-husband was three months time. I was a little bit, I was 26 and I got pregnant right away. Like within two weeks of getting pregnant, like we were, that was it. It was like, we were off to the races and I wasn't fully prepared for any of these things. And this is where my part comes in with I, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going with the flow. And before I knew it, the flow took me down the river and out to the ocean. And I'm like, I turn around, I'm like, wait a minute. So with the, that being a concern, the divorce and the kids, it, was a it wasn't a concern because I was very open-minded and I didn't care about meeting somebody and being with somebody who had children because things were seemingly okay in the beginning. When we got married, the dynamic with his ex-wife, she was not over him which was unbeknownst to me because she was seeing somebody and things like that. And I didn't realize, again, women were fueled by emotions. There was a tremendous amount of jealousy. And then that element of me trying to, wanting to make peace with her, wanting to make peace with the kids, but now her, all of a sudden, it was like this World War Three sort of game of, I'm dropping the kids off unannounced. I'm not letting you see the kids. I want more money. Oh, you just got married. You had money for a wedding. Well, now I want more child support. Oh, I'm coming after you. I want to see you in jail for not paying child support. Like it became this really toxic dynamic from the get-go, like right off, like it wasn't, we met and dated for three months. It was relatively calm and quiet because the relationship was not publicized. We were, you know, dating, I guess, how you want to say behind the scenes. And then it really, it really started to unravel and fall apart. And by that time I was already uh, pregnant. So immediately when these things started popping up, I suggested we go to marital therapy. This is in year one. I'm pregnant. We're marital therapy. We're having this really intense dynamic with his ex and the kids and how he was managing that. And I started seeing a lot of red flags. So I was like, Hey, we're all going to therapy. Everybody, the, your kids are going to therapy. We're going to therapy. We're going to family therapy. I'm a huge proponent of therapy. And at that point, therapy can only help you so much if you're not willing to do the work. And I was struggling with changing careers, shutting one business down, opening another, buying out my partner. I was pregnant. I was living with someone now also 
who was much more religious than I was. And, and there was a certain expectation of how I was supposed to be dressing. And there was a new environment. I moved to Brooklyn. I'm from Long Island. It was so many moving parts. And I couldn't keep up with processing and putting out fires. And Baruch Hashem, I had my son. And I, you know, it was a great moment. And there was like a lull. And then the wave two happened. And wave two is now when you have blended families, it's really hard to manage scheduling and emotions. And there's a new marriage and a new baby. And then his ex-wife got remarried, actually. His ex-wife got married and had a baby with her husband. And there was the dynamic of that. Now, to make matters more complicated, I'll just touch upon this lightly because it's not so much my story to share, but I will throw this in here. The man that she married is a get refuser to his last ex-wife for 15 years. And she married him knowing that. So now the ex-wife, who is not an ex-wife and hasn't had her get for 15 years, now comes into the mix. Happens to be we're friends. I'm friends that we share the same name. We're friends. She came into the mix. So now you have our blended family, a child, her blended family, a child, his blended family with the ex-wife. And now you're throwing more pressure on the pot. And then to add to that, his children, two of them came to live with us. And then I got pregnant again with my second child. There's a lot of great resources out there for co-parenting and, you know, all of these things, but sometimes too much is, is too much. And it, it became too much. And again, therapy and programs and trying to get the kids in the right school and find a safe place for them. Because even with all of this behind the scene drama that we deal with as women and adults, the most important thing is our children, right? We're here to leave the next generation behind. So you might be struggling, you might be hurting, you might be having resentment, but like that doesn't mean that our kids should suffer. So trying to mask this pain, the fighting, the screaming, the money, money is the biggest thing I see in divorce is really with the problems, you know, oh, you're not paying for this. And how dare you go to Florida? You can't take a vacation. And I saw you got a new car and and that becomes like stirring the pot even more. So at this point, we were like a few years into our marriage struggling. And I had really, really was like, I don't know how much longer I could do this. But the advice, and I will say this, this is again, going a little, it's a whole conversation in and of itself, but I will touch upon this. A lot of Shalom Bias books talk about how you should see your spouse in a good light right? They talk about, oh, try to see them in a good light, a positive light, change yourself, and you're going to change your marriage. But what they don't tell you is that if you yourself don't have healthy boundaries, healthy relationships, a healthy understanding of what is acceptable and not acceptable, you might be putting energy into the wrong things and accepting things that are not okay. For example? For example, my husband doesn't let me go out with my friends. You might say, you might bother you. There might be tension. There might be a fight. Well, why can't I go out with my girlfriends? Why can't I go out to dinner? You know, why do you expect me to be home with the kids all the time? And you might pick up a book or go to your Rebbitson and say, oh, you know, hi, like I want to go out with my friends and I can't go out with my friends and it's causing issues. You might, which I did, I took away with like, oh, well, maybe, you know, do an activity with the kids and your husband. And it didn't, I didn't have the healthy boundary to say, no, I need time with my friends. Like I didn't have, I wasn't healthy enough to say, no, I need time with my friends. I need me time. Instead, I was like, oh, you know what? I am a Jewish mother and I'm religious and I should be spending more time with my kids or more time with my husband. And I, I didn't have that sense of self to be able to say, 
whoa, I really need a break and this shouldn't be an issue. And if you have a problem with it, then you need to go to therapy and talk about your codependency issues. And this became a pattern of behavior in our marriage where I was really giving in and giving in because I had this idea of, well, this is a from home and you're a from woman and this is what you're supposed to be doing. And do you really need to go out and have a drink with your friends or should you be home, you know, baking with your kids? Like it just, it wasn't for me a clear line of, okay, this is enough. And it, and it kind of just spiraled out of control. One more thing I wanted to comment on is, is just really impressive how you said you wanted to set your ex-husband up in a respectable, dignified way so your kids could still respect him. I want to actually just talk about that a little bit. I'm making a comparison here, but I witnessed a lot of my decision-making in this divorce was based on the behavior of his previous relationship. You know, she had this idea that he should be living in a basement and constantly was like, you're a loser. You have no money. You're not taking care of this. She would tell the kids. And I saw the deterioration, like the light go out in his kids' eyes and they lost a lot of respect for him. And they, instead of treating him like a father, it was more like a Nebuch case, like, oh, daddy, of course, daddy doesn't have money to take us to Florida, like, because mommy works two jobs and daddy doesn't pay. And I just saw it's not helping anybody, even though my ex is not in as great a position as me, because I did take on an additional job into my business. I said to him, I'm like, you're going to get yourself at least a nice size two bedroom apartment. I'm like, I'm going to furnish it. You're not living in a basement where you're going to be close by for sure. He doesn't carry with him in Flatbush. He doesn't hold by the air. I said, you're going to live close by and we're going to walk each other and we're going to do. And I, and I constantly am trying to push healthy dynamics of co-parenting. And in a way, again, it's not like the greatest thing, but I am using the fact that I do have the financial means to do so. And even if a woman doesn't have the financial means, she can certainly use other aspects of leverage. You'll catch a lot more flies with honey or with sugar than you will with anything else. And you'll find that you could hate your ex. You could want, you would hate him so badly. You could have the worst trauma associated with it. If you come to the table without the emotions, go home, scream into a pillow, go break things that in those places they have in New York City, go to therapy, go out for drinks with your girlfriend, let it out, do what you need to do. But if you come to the second your emotions start getting elevated, you're holding on to maybe a house. He wants a house. No, I want the house. No, he wants to sell the house. Have a Muna, Hashem is always there and he will take care of you and your kids. You having that house or that extra $300 a month is not worth the mental and emotional anguish that you yourself are going to go through to get it or that your children are going to go through to get it. And if your kids ask you questions, you could say, I don't know, you know, I don't know, or whatever it is. And, and it doesn't, your kids don't have to be your therapist. They don't have to be the emotional backboard for you for when you're struggling how am I going to pay my rent oh my gosh my phone bill is due and my ex is not giving me child support but I just saw him on Instagram buying his girlfriend a new Louis bag it hurts it hurts it's painful I'm not taking that away no one is taking away that struggle that pain and you could say but I'm cooking I'm cleaning I'm schlepping I can't I can't get a break look I just took my kids away for Pesach to a program and I paid I I saved and saved and saved and paid for this whole thing. It was a moderate program. And my kid is throwing up on the trip and I have dirty diapers and I'm, and I'm not enjoying myself at all, to be quite honest, because here I am spending more time with my children than I ever have in the past five months. And my ex is away on vacation. 
he's at a club. I see him on Instagram stories and he's, you know, with these like Instagram influencers, like having a drink partying. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I want to be in Miami on a boat right now. But you know what? I, I swallowed my pride. I didn't text him. I didn't, and it wasn't like, I hate you. And how could you not pay me? I was like, you know what? My kids are happy. They don't know what's going on. My kids do not know what's good. They don't need to know what's going on. They don't need to know that daddy is out doing God knows what they right now in the moment they're here with mommy and there's, there's a petting zoo and they're happy to be with one parent. And anytime I get that sort of like enraged feeling where I just want to like, really like yell at him and curse him out and be like, you loser. Like, I hate you. I just, I put it back into my kids where I'm like, Hey, let's go do something. Hey, let's do this. And I, they don't need to know our problems. Kids don't, and it doesn't help. It doesn't help if they think that dad's a loser because <laughs> then they're going to grow up and they're going to have this poor image of relationships, right? Because we base our relationships with our spouses based on the relationships with our parents. So if you offset that, they're not going to marry well. They're not going to have happy marriages and it's going to come back to you because you want grandchildren and happy marriages and happy kids. You're so inspiring to all women, not just divorced women, but married women as well. What? troubles me is what do women do who can't afford to get divorced because they can't support their kids and they can't do it on their own or they don't have their education or they gave up on their careers too early because of the children or there are too many children and between day schools letting the kids out at god knows what time because it doesn't accommodate nine to five jobs potentially you know it's not an option you have to be miserable enough to not care that you're just going to be a tzedakah case for the rest of your life. I will tell you that I don't have family, not one part of family. There's no mom, there's no sisters, there's no cousins, there's no aunts. And this was a big concern with me in the beginning of the marriage because I was newly married. I wasn't planning to have children. Baruch Hashem, I love my kids. I'm very thankful. But in the beginning, I was like in this position and I was like, I can't just leave now. <laughs> I'm pregnant. I have another kid on the way and I'm taking care of other kids and my business is growing and I'm building and what am I going to do? So the first thing that I would say is obviously therapy. Therapy is the end all be all for me. Therapy because it's costs give you... even more money. <laughs> well, well, there are organizations like Tikva Ohel and the Jewish Board that do low cost to no cost therapy. And there are other therapists out there, especially in the Jewish firm world, that can provide you with a reasonable backboard for where your head is at. Because sometimes we, in emotions, we don't make clear decisions and that's really a big problem. And you don't, especially when you're with kids and you're in this vulnerable position, you do not want to just pick your kids up and run unless you really need to. That's number one. Number two is if you are in that situation where you're really biting down and you're like, I don't have, I don't have the resources to leave. You can prepare yourself. So maybe that means waiting till your kids are a little bit older that there's, I'm not saying that you should suffer in silence for years, but if it means that you have to wait another year till your kids start stay school, and then you can get a nine to five. If it means that while you're in the marriage, try to work a schedule again, be nice. Say when you're maybe taking on a part-time job, you could, you could do babysitting as a job with your children, taking in that extra income, taking care of somebody else's kids. And no, will that support you? Absolutely not. But it is an option for sort of setting yourself up for success. And if you have family, I'm sorry if you hear my son, he just got home from school. If you have family that is able to help you, even to relieve some of the burden, if you have a mother, if you have a sister, if you have a cousin that's able to take the kids 
women, the biggest thing I see with women is that we give too much of ourselves and we're not making time enough for ourselves. So that tension builds and builds and builds. It's really important to have, and it's not Shabbos because you're cooking and cleaning for Shabbos and possibly entertaining. You need to have that one moment, a set Monday night, it's mommy's night. I'm going to yoga. You're taking the kids and mommy is going to go to yoga and do whatever the heck she wants to do and reset yourself. And if you're in a really bad situation where you want to get out of this marriage, there, there are ways you can't, you can't have the mentality of, Oh, it'll never happen. Oh, my husband controls the finances. Oh, it doesn't do this. I have been there. I have been there previously. I previously, before being married, I was in a very, very not healthy relationship. And if when there's a will, there is a way, but it's going to also mean that you might have to sacrifice the style and the type of living that you're in. Maybe your husband controls the finances. You live in a beautiful house. You have a nanny and a housekeeper and this. You might have to swallow the fact that in the beginning, you might start off in a one bedroom or you might not be able to afford the things that you want. But there are resources out there and there are small steps that you can take in preparation for it. In a previous episode titled Why I Didn't Want to Give My Get, our guest shared that the man or the ex-husband is the last to find out that the wife or the ex-wife wants a divorce. You implied a little bit that you made the decision and then you told him and then you invited him to the basin the next week. Is that what happened? Like he had no idea this was coming. You were preparing this. No. So I, so when I say prepare, you need to prepare for your finances. You need to prepare in terms of getting yourself set up because again, bargaining chips, men speak with money and men don't want to be told what to do. I mean, women don't either, but like men don't want to, men don't want to hear that. Oh, you're going to try to take my house and kick me out to the curb. And I'm going to look like a failure in the community. And you're going to sit in the house and be dating some guy living in the house while I'm paying the bills. Like they don't want to hear that. So what I mean by prepare is I mean by like, get your finances in order. I had been offered a job in addition to my business a previous year ago, my ex-husband didn't want me working any more than I was. And he didn't want me, you know, having that income. And I started interviewing. Now, in terms of emotionally, my husband knowing, I wrote letters to my husband throughout the years of our marriage. And I was explicit in these letters saying, I can't continue this pace. If you keep treating me like this, we I have these letters that I had given him during the course of the marriage that I had brought to marital therapy. And when we got divorced, I provided him with these letters again. And I was like, I told you for years, I begged you for help. I begged you for this. My needs weren't being met. And I, I, that's why when the rabbi was like, no, wait a little bit. I was like, no, I'm done. Like I walked away from this marriage, exhausting 150% of my energy into knowing what I was capable of giving into this marriage. And it's one thing if you're talking to your girlfriends, I hate my husband. He doesn't pick up his clothes. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do this. I think he's cheating on me. It's one thing if you're venting to the world, because I don't think anybody should really know unless you're very, very like close, close somebody that you trust explicitly. I don't think anybody should really know about your problems because people talk and it's not even their fault. It's just the nature of how we are as individuals. If you're telling everybody about your problems before you're coming to your husband and you know what your problems are and you're able to express them, it's not that your husband leaves his socks on the floor that's the problem. And the problem is you don't feel respected that you've asked your husband five times, can you please put your laundry in the laundry basket? And you're the one left to pick up the pieces and you feel disrespected and you feel like he's not listening to love. If you understand what those things mean, 
and you can express them clearly in the marriage. And if you have help to express it, that's one thing. But yeah, if you're preparing to get divorced and you are going through this, it's not, let me pull the rug out from you. It's let me protect myself or let me at least have a little bit of a cushion to start doing what I need to do. And divorce requires a lot of help. And if you can't pay for that help, you have that family or friends that are willing to step up. You lay down the law very clearly. (laughs) I can't help but ask, did you have infidelity? Is that, was that one of the breaking points? Because it's an example you gave a few times. It's interesting. No, I didn't. However, to my knowledge, I don't know. I didn't cheat and I don't know if he cheated, but I will tell you what was one of the main issues. My husband's in recovery. He's sober. My ex-husband's in recovery. He's sober now almost 10 years. So I was familiar with a lot of these programs, F-A-N-A-A-A, which are, you know, there are from people that go through this. But one of the things that, you know, with it, it's a high ego, low self-esteem is really the patterns of somebody who has an addictive personality. And I was constantly being accused of cheating in my marriage. Despite the fact that I dressed head to toe sneeze, I wore a head covering. I didn't leave the house. I mean, I wore, my business was run from my home. I was basically in many ways a prisoner in my own because my ex was so like, he had infidelity in his previous marriage and he was so like, you're cheating on me. Who are you talking to? You said hi to the guy at the grocery store. And I was like, oh my God, no, like, no, I'm not. And it was like, again, healthy boundaries, right? For me to have enough confidence to say, no, I would never cheat on you and like, stop accusing me and like putting my foot down. And what, aside from all of the other things that compiled into me finally leaving was I was so lonely in my marriage and I didn't want to have infidelity and I didn't want to cheat. And I was so like yearning for a connection and just to have some sort of, and when we say intimacy, it doesn't mean like, you know, sex. I'm, I'm talking about just connection, something that cares. Yeah. Connection that cares about you. And that's like, Hey, how was your day? Not, Oh, I can't believe my chicken is cold or, you know, why didn't you do this? And I'm not taking out the garbage. I have to go learn and these sort of like things. And at, at that point I had reconnected with a friend of mine, a girlfriend of mine, and we went out to lunch just like at the very, very end. And I just, I just lost it. She hugged me and I like lost it. I broke down crying and I was like, I can't go my, the rest of my life being married, not hugging my husband, not kissing him, not having these emotional intimate moments that I wasn't having with him. But I think I bring up intimacy a lot because what I see is a lot of animosity in divorce from women and a lot of like anger and regret. And a lot of times it does come from infidelity. And so with that anger and rage of feeling rejected, feeling hurt and feeling like, why did you do this to me? There becomes the element. It's really hard to bite your tongue. You know, I've been cheated on before, again, in previous relationships. And it, it you see red, you see red. And then to know that you've had children on top of that and you're giving everything in your marriage. And I can't even imagine in a marriage what that would feel like. But knowing what it felt like in a relationship, I could only assume how hard it would be to not want to like, come to the court fighting and saying, you're going to give me every last piece of you. It's like, you have to, I hate to say it, but you have to just let everything go, like just wash it away and, and say, Hey, I'm going to get my gun and I'm going to treat myself nice. And there will be somebody out there that will respect my time and, and value me and my kids. I do want to mention, we will be doing an episode on infidelity and blended families and not necessarily being the cause for divorce. Like there is hope for some marriages. Infidelity does not equal divorce necessarily. Back to one more point that you brought up. Have you talked to your ex-husband's ex-wife about her thought process when she married a known get refuser? 
do you know what goes on? Like, I would want to interview her. How do you marry uh, Get Refuser? So I'm going to just start off by saying that she is not mentally well or stable. I wanted to be friends with her when I met my ex-husband. And I thought that we would have a really nice blended family with co-parenting. And I did try to reach out to her. She is also um, from Long Island and uh, she's a Gears and I'm a Belgian and I thought we had a lot of things in common. And I was like, oh yeah, like I have, you know, you guys were separated for years. So obviously why would you hate me? You know, I'm not the cause of your divorce, but that was met with a tremendous backlash and animosity. I do frequently talk to, it's funny, the Aguna. <laughs> we're, we have the same name. We're, we're friends. When I tried to like, you know, reach out there when I was like, how could you do this? It was just met with, it's none of your business. Like it's not your problem. Cause I, I don't know how anybody could knowingly knowing that another woman is suffering, marry somebody. I think it's a, that's how they do it. They ignore it. They don't confront it. They don't think about she it. She had a child with him. She had a child with him and they're living. And, and on top of that, just to give you a little perspective about the mental um, capacity of this person, her children are older. They're in their late teens. She is now revisiting court with my ex-husband, who I paid for my my ex-husband. I paid for his lawyer to represent him in this case. She's trying to get him in jail for lack of child support at a time that we had custody of the kids, but we couldn't file for custody because it was COVID. So the kids were living with us. We stopped paying child support. We couldn't file because it was COVID. And this actually is happening. And I met another gentleman, the same exact thing is happening to COVID really like messed up with court dates and custody and child arrangements. And now she's trying to put him in jail for the back pay of like the three years ago when it happened. And she's living in a mansion in Lakewood, like with her new baby. She's, she doesn't need the child support. So I think that gives a little bit of insight to kind of where she's holding for the level of emotional compassion towards the situation. What advice would you give? There's so many different categories here. There's so many different people who can use it. But what would be your two cents? My two cents is... Can I go first? What I feel yeah. like your go-to yeah. is? Yeah. Number yeah. one, try to marry the right person. Oh. Right? <laughs> well. Let's try that. And number yeah. two, women need to be financially independent so they can seek therapy and they can afford a yoga night and pay for a babysitter if the husband is never around. Like that flexibility of not losing oneself. So to be able to conserve who you are as an identity within a marriage, and then God forbid, if the marriage is not viable, then to have options to gracefully transition for the sake of the kids. So interestingly enough, I know this is not so common in the Jewish circles, but two things that that could really help you in the situation. And the one is a a prenup. A prenup works both ways and and you don't necessarily need money. There is something in from what I understand in the more conservative circles, the Lieberman clause or or something that has to do with the get and says like you're going to get X amount of money or you can't withhold the get something like that. But if you get a prenup, even if they're, if one per party doesn't have an extraordinary sum of money, we think like prenup, oh, you're a multimillionaire, but makes it very cut and dry that should the marriage end for whatever reason, these are the terms that you're ending on, you know, that you're going to support, blah, blah, blah. And you sign that. And then there's something I also learned about a prenatal agreement, which states that before you have a child with a man, it's very similar to a prenup, but it has certain stipulations 
for the expectation of having that child aftercare, hump babysitting costs, if you want surgery. I mean, there there's so much that can be done legally. And that doesn't mean that the man is going to uphold to them in a divorce. But in the marriage, setting the tone where you have an expectation, this is what I expect after I have a child. This is what I expect on Monday nights. And it doesn't hurt to have side incomes. I'm not such a big fan of of women saying, yeah, career is everything because I think women are such a pivotal role in the home. But if it's not a matter of you getting a job to afford babysitting, maybe you have a friend, a neighbor, don't be in the firm circle. Don't be afraid to ask if you trust somebody. Hey, could you watch my kids for a couple hours? I just, you know, need, if you know the person and like, you know, above you, below you, there are groups or WhatsApp groups for single parents. I have married friends who are really struggling financially that just need a break. And I'm like, bring your kids. Like, I have two kids. They can play. You need a Shabbos alone. No problem. And I try to extend that help because I know what it was like to not be able to afford a babysitter, to feel trapped, to be alone. There are ways that we as a community can step up to help married people and to help single parents if if the trust is there. Do you feel burnt by relationships or do you want to find love again in marriage? I very much so love the idea of being married, coming home. I love the element of unity and a good Shabbos table. I just recently, after my post-divorce craze, started hosting Shabbos meals again. I am seeing somebody, like, not seriously, but, like, I am a little burned. I'm a little scared. I'm a little scared because I don't know that the next time I get married to a guy, if I'm going to walk away so unscathed if it happens. You know, this was a very unique situation where I snapped my fingers after my get and I got it, and I played my cards right, and Hashem's hand helped in this, but... I had the money to manipulate the situation because that's really what it was, manipulation into into my favor. And I am afraid. I am afraid that am I going to be in this situation? Am I going to make the same mistakes again? How am I healing? We repeat what we don't repair. So what what do I need to work on that I don't fall victim to the situation again? And also, I'm kind of happy. I'm I'm making money. I'm helping people. I have a boy and a girl. I think it's going to take a lot for me to sit down and be like, oh, marriage? Like, yeah, you know, like, okay. You know, we get married young because we want hopes of a family and building a life. And the idea sounds very nice. But I think this time around, it would be a much longer process for me. And I'd be a little bit more skeptical because I know now that I'm self-sufficient. So it's like, Women get married for company, they get married for kids, they get married for maybe somebody to take care of them. I would be getting married because I really, really want to. I I don't. (laughs) I would like for you to continue (laughs) a little bit more. You can't get the companionship you get from an exclusive relationship that you get from friends on a Monday night, drinks night. Yeah. So again, that would determine on where you're holding in terms of your dating. If you are Shomer and you're dating through the Shidduch system and the expectation is marriage, there's something very beautiful about being married, raising your kids in a home, having beautiful Shabbos meals and davening. And and my ex, one of the greatest things about my ex was he was so in tune with Judaism and Torah and Halakhas. And I'll give that to him. He has a very good mind and he's very, he's very solid in his faith in Judaism. And that was the beauty of our home was on Shabbos and Yantifs and learning with him and, and, and having that element that I never grew up with. It was beautiful. And I miss it. You know, the first few Shabbases that I had alone and making Kiddush for my kids, it was really hard. And I felt like the Kedusha of my home was removed. And there have been many times, even on Pesach, you know, that I, 
question my decision because I'm like, I can't do this. I'm not a man. Like we have different roles in orthodoxy, men and women. And simple things like I chose to remove my shades all post-divorce, but like davening with your head on, like just little things that you don't think are going to sting are going to sting. And I think that there's something beautiful about being married, but, but with the other side of that, you asked me if, if I'm nervous and the answer is, yeah, yeah, I'm nervous. You know, I want the next, I want, I have children now to think about, right. I don't want to just get into another situation where I'm leading a bad example for my kids. Part of why I got divorced and what pushed me for my kids was I didn't want my daughter marrying somebody like my ex because of how he was treating me. And I didn't want my son turning into somebody like my ex because of how he was behaving. Now, is he a good person overall? Yeah, he is. He's a great, you know, maybe individually speaking and how he carries himself, but the dynamic of us wasn't working and I was setting a poor example for my kids. So the thought of that now marrying somebody who it's not their father and are, is he going to love my kids the way that I love my kids? There's tons of fears with that, but I also am very content in my life right now. I'm very happy. I travel a lot. I work a lot and I'm kind of just letting Hashem like put me into the next position of my life. That's really beautiful. I was going to ask you what you did regarding your hair covering because I know you are in the wig business. Would you like to share a little bit about that and then we'll wrap up? Yeah, sure. No. So <laughs> I actually really never wore wigs when I was married. I wore like pistols and like the Israeli style turbans. Um, I just found it more convenient. I was always flipping running around and I wore wigs for weddings or advertising and things like that. And um, my decision to take it off was based on the holding of like Reb Moshe Feinstein said that if it's going to prevent you from getting remarried because somebody thinks that you're married or they don't want to be a divorcee that you could take it off. And so I tried taking it off in Miami one week post-divorce. Like I was like, all right, let me like, you know, Miami's a little bit, whatever. And I ended up seeing people from my office, people, my neighbors. And I'm like, oh, well, I can't just go back to Brooklyn now. Like, put, it's going to make me seem hypocritical. I'm taking it off, putting it on. And I was like, you know what? We're going to take it off. And I did. And there are moments sad. I think it's a very beautiful mitzvah to, to cover your hair. And there's something about it. And But I'm okay. <laughs> okay with it now. You know, I do own a wig business. So when the time comes, I, I will be happy to put a wig back on. <laughs> thank you so much, Tarna, for coming on. And yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Very powerful conversation. How can people reach you? Well, you could reach me on Instagram at Goldsmith Hair, or uh, if you want to put any of my contact information post show, I'm happy to I'm happy to speak to women about any of these issues, or if they just need somebody to listen, because I think that's it's huge. Just being heard. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please join us in the discussion group on WhatsApp. The link is in the show notes. I always love hearing from you. If you need help launching your podcast, I have a new course that I launched that you can do it on your own, on your own time. And of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, go and listen to the backlog as well as check out the other podcasts on jewishcoffeehouse.com. I hope you have a beautiful week and see you next time.